I feel I learn a lot from every conversation I have with teachers on the Turn and Talk podcast. There's always so many things to think about. There are always so many things that push my thinking because often people have different perspectives than I do. So it's always a great exercise in self-reflection and self-development and one reason why I enjoy doing the podcast so much. Once in a while, though, there are some conversations that are transformational. They change me and my thinking quite extensively about a topic in education. This interview was one of those transformational conversations. I really appreciated having the chance to talk to the guest today, who is a social-emotional learning expert, and I learned a ton from this person, and I know you will too. He explained SEL in ways that made a lot of sense to me and made me feel like it's something that I can and should do in my classroom. He also shared a lot of resources that can be used in the classroom. I bring this interview to you with a lot of gratitude for the guest who took the time to share his expertise and the wealth of information with us on the topic of SEL. Stay tuned. Let me know what you think at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Social emotional learning is a topic that's uh, really intriguing to me. I don't know a lot about it. And I think there are a lot of people out there that are still trying to get their head wrapped around this idea of how to do this uh, in the classroom. So today, I'm really excited because we have a specialist, uh, not any ordinary specialist, but a specialist who specializes in social emotional learning. He's been a teacher. He's also a teacher coach. And it is so exciting to get a chance to sit with him and talk to him today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jay, for having me. I'm excited to talk to you and to the audience, particularly about this topic that I am. I'm already passionate about it and just becoming it's like just completely immersed in it. So, yeah, it's a great topic to talk about and an important one, too. So thank you for having me on. Well, thank you uh, for sharing your time. So we'll always, you know, get started with how did you end up doing what you're doing? So tell us a little bit about what you do and how did you end up doing it? So interestingly enough, you know, um, I'm probably like many teachers, I always kind of knew I wanted to be a teacher, but my life didn't take me directly into the field. You know, I kind of, I had, you know, I'm one of, I have a, you know, I think I have a, like a toolbox of talents and I explored some of the other ones early on in my life. I went into the military first. I did, had a whole career in sales and I, uh, made some money in that field. And, uh, you know, I came out of that field and as I got older in my life and had a family and um, started to, you know, evolve as a man, I, um, you know, really wanted to look at um, doing something that was going to be impactful and something that um, I could create a legacy behind. And it was just nat natural for me to go into education. So I was kind of a late bloomer. I jumped in, um, got my degree and uh, started teaching. So uh, when I started teaching, I, um, I, I think it's um, important to know that I am a, also a black male uh, from an urban city as well. And, um, you know, there's not many of us, I think it's 2%. So when I, when I got into the teaching field, I thought I was going to be able to be, I, I was at an urban school teaching fifth grade. And I thought when I got there, you know, I was just going to be able to make a difference right away. You know, the kids are going to just instantly respect me and, <laughs> you know, just, uh, yeah. you know, fall in love with me and, you know, it's going to fall in line. I was just going to be able to, you know, do what I do. But um, when I got there, I was um, um, hit with a hard dose of reality. 
hard dose of reality. It was not that. I, I, I found myself going home in tears sometimes, just, you know, the, found, the, found that I was inadequately prepared for, for that role. And um, at that point, I started to, um, you know, really start to do a lot of research and, and um, looking for ways that I could reach my students. And um, that kind of what took me into social emotional learning. So I started to bring a lot of those. That's, and that's before I even knew that that was a title. I just started bringing a lot of those philosophies mm-hmm. into my classroom. Um, and I started to see huge, huge gains, a whole transformation in my classroom. Started to see, you know, sad kids turn into happy kids. And from there, I, I was hooked. And at the end of, you know, towards uh, the end of that, that school year, that summer I was off, I seen a, a, a job posting for a, from a nonprofit organization looking for a social emotional learning um, specialist. And uh, in the job ad, they talked about being, um, being able to coach teachers and impact teachers. Mm-hmm. And, um, as, and so I thought to myself, you know, it was very difficult because, you know, I was very successful at the school. You know, the kids needed me. My classroom needed me. You know, my, my team needed me. But I, I'm, still, I'm still in my same mission about legacy and impact. And I thought to myself that this, this is really what's missing. And as a classroom teacher, I wasn't empowered enough to um, make the type of impact that I wanted. I, I was able to control my class. But so I, I went ahead and took the leap and um, to, uh, left the classroom to go into this nonprofit and which basically put me into many classrooms across the district in many different schools, charter, private, public. And I found now that that's really where, re- really where it's at, you know, it's because the, we're, as teachers we're hurting and because we're hurting, that's the, the students are hurting. So now I'm, I'm, I'm just immersed and um, dedicated to uh, assisting. Th- I mean, I'm still, I still work with st- students, but I'm um, working with the teachers. Um, it's, it's given me the opportunity to make an impact tenfold. So that's kind of mm-hmm. what brought me here. And, and that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Wow. Uh, thank you for sharing that story. Um, uh, a lot of things came to my mind while you were speaking. And one of them was the, that you shared about 2% of yeah. black males being part of the teaching force in whatever city you were in. Why do you think that is? Well, I think number one is that um, I think black males do not have a good experience in school. You know, I think, um, number one, their own experience does, you know, doesn't make them want to come back in there. <laughs> you know, we know mm-hmm. that um, the, st- the stats are out there that, you know, uh, uh, black boys are uh, disproportionately targeted. Um, um, I don't want to say targeted, but you can see the numbers are there. You know, they um, for suspensions, the mm-hmm. suspensions, and discipline, disciplinary actions, and um, uh, we're talking about achievement gaps, and you know, all these different stats. You know, they all lead to one. You can, you can come to a conclusion that the the experience itself is not comfortable. Mm-hmm for black males. So, and we're not the only demographics that feel that way, you know, I'm sure. But um, I think that's the number one reason why you don't see many coming back into the school, even though we know there is a need. Mm-hmm. But I think the experience itself is, is a big deterrent. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's a lot of other factors. But for me, that, that's, that's, a, that's a, a prime one. You, you were saying that you felt after a while in the classroom, you felt success and you were doing well and things are going great in your classroom. A lot of teachers feel that what they're doing can have an impact and they want to have a larger impact so you know they move on to bigger things so that they can have a bigger impact working with teachers etc but why is it that being in the classroom the great teaching practices that you're having success with why don't they spread well because you know that when in the in the current um the way the system is set up right now is that we don't have the opportunity to see each other 
and what we're doing when we're doing it. You know, we're all mm -hmm. working at the same time. So there's really little space for collaboration and there's little um, space for us to, it's one thing to talk about the things that I did in the classroom, but it's another thing to see it firsthand. It's another mm -hmm. thing to reflect on it afterwards. Another thing to actually build some learning, a real learning environment around it. So, you know, once you close your door, you're almost by yourself, you know, you know, and that's kind of how it is. So I just don't think that, um, when we're in it, in the classroom, plus the days are going so fast, the demands mm -hmm. are so great, you know, and if, you know, you're trying to get me to do a PD or to meet with you after school, I'm just physically exhausted. So I just don't think that it's, um, it, it's the, the classroom settings right now, the way it is, it's, it's really structured for us to be able to um, build upon each other, which is, um, it's unfortunate that it is. So tell us now about social emotional learning. How did that transition happen for you? And uh, what drew you to SEL? And um, why work with uh, teachers and as a trainer now? Great question. Let's start. That's a good place, place to start. I think that um, social emotional learning is, in fact, the number one missing ingredient to us to creating the, the, the pie that we want or the product that we want. Um, I think it is key to um, number one, curbing undesired behaviors inside the classroom, you know, the, the, the behaviors that we don't want. I also think it's also critically a, a key to academic gains. Um, so when I think about social emotional learning and how I explain it to people, I always want to start with the why, you know, because people need a reason mm -hmm. to, 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 to buy into this. And it is buying in. You know, it is a, um, almost selling it because if you don't believe it, if you don't feel it, you, you're not going to do it. So why SEL? The first is because uh, emotions, Jay, and learning are absolutely intertwined. You know, mm -hmm. they go hand in hand. You know, um, you could reference um, CBT or the cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a, a psychotherapy treatment. Um, but basically what it references is, is that our thoughts feed and fuel our emotions and mm -hmm. our emotions in turn drive our actions. And, you know, just to, just to kind of get, put that in a, a different light as an adult, as you and I, you know, when if we uh, wake up or we on our way to work and when we get there, no matter what, no matter what the cause, if we're not quote unquote feeling it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. when I'm not feeling mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Right. What is the likelihood that we are going to be putting our best effort into teaching that day or that hour or that next lesson? You know, um, low. The, the, <laughs> it's low. It's very low. Our feelings. Um, are very much the driving force behind our actions. So in turn, when I think about students, when our students come in and enter in our classroom and they are in an emotional state that is um, uncomfortable, there is no learning that's going to happen that day. So you know, social emotional learning, why SEL? Because they, they go hand in hand. And we mm -hmm. as educators, we have to um, be more mindful and address these emotions in order to be for us to do what we really want to do, which is get the academics um, across. Secondly, you know, I think of why SELs because with all the issues going on in education today, with all the things that we could talk about, debate, and complain about, one thing that is sort of our, in, in our control is what we do in our classroom when the doors are mm -hmm. closed, right? So social-emotional learning is um, something that we can, in fact, do. We can, we can um, improve it. We can, um, we can uh, systematically go at it in our own classrooms without much. We don't need any other resources. I don't really, I mean, we do need something, but we don't need, I don't need a lot of uh, uh, outside influence. I don't need, I don't need a lot. I don't need money. I don't need you to, I don't need any of that. Okay. I can control that. I can, mm -hmm. I can dictate that and I can start to make change and see change in my classroom. So it is something that we can do. And I think that's empowering because everything else we talk about, which is all valid, you know, the teacher pay, the administrative support, they, you know, the FSA, the, excuse me, not FSA, but these teaching um, tests, the state exams, mm -hmm. you know, they're all valid 
valid valid uh, parts of why the education system is is in the state it is. But all of that also, when we think about that, it is disheartening, you know, because all of that is most of it's way outside of our control. It's like, oh man, I, I understand that, but when I go to work, I can't do anything about that. And when I talk about social emotional learning, and and I present that to teachers, and I pretend it to how you know we can actually start to implement this in the result that it could that it could uh, that it can make you can start to see a glimmer of hope again, you know, okay, are you, uh, I can, I can do something about it, you know, and it, it really, when you want to start, I, I like to think about it as, um, you know, the bottom line is if, if we was a business, the customers are saying, our students are saying they don't want to be here, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's part of the real problem. And uh, part of it is because they are social creatures. They want to be social, right? Um, they want to yeah. also learn, but the current way that we are doing it is um is is counteracted to what our customer wants. But we keep shoving it down their throat like, oh, I know what you want, but we're going to keep doing it this way. And so it's like a clash, clash, clash. And it's a uh, so uh, that's why I think uh, being social, uh, this topic of social emotional learning is empowering to educators. So it will fuel the change that you want to see in your classroom. So that's why social emotional learning. So when you talk about social emotional learning or SEL, are we talking about a set of mindset or are we talking about a set of practices in my day-to-day teaching or planning or is it uh, an overall philosophy or is it all three it, it is a bit it's a bit of all three let's start with the um first thing if i was to just kind of put a, a short definition on what social emotional learning is social emotional learning is simply a building of competencies five competencies i want to build mm-hmm. self-awareness I want to build self-management. I want to build social awareness skills. I want to build your relational skills, relationship skills, and I want to be able to build responsible decision-making skills. So it's a, it's a, it's a, at the end, that is the end goal. We want to be able to build these competencies in ourselves and in our students. I see. That's what it is. Now, the method to doing that, there is a method to doing that. Um, mm-hmm. The how is the, that is where, that's where the work is. <laughs> that is where the work yeah. is because it, it's definitely not it's not an easy thing i won't say i'm not gonna say it's easy but it is something that we can in fact do um and i think that's where i probably want to spend most of my time talking it's in the how section because um you know almost uh, the thing about like professional developments and think about even teacher conversations we're always talking about we're, we're quick and we're able to identify the what like the problem or even the why the why we want to do it but yeah how do we do it is always eluding us um and so that part of the conversation yes. i do I the how and how much to do it. I think sometimes what I hear from teachers, anytime there's a new uh, strategy or a new framework that uh, people are saying is a good framework to employ and people agree, then we, you know, sit down in front of a computer screen to try to plan out a lesson and or a unit plan and decide how are we going to weave this in into our daily instruction and daily practice. And then it becomes, it starts to become overwhelming. Exactly. Uh, so would love to hear your thoughts on how to start. Exactly. I think um, number one, and I don't know if everybody wants to hear this or not, but in order to, let's remember the goals that we want to build self-awareness, self-management skills, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making skills um, within our students. In order to do that, before you can help your student do that, you have to check your wellness. So it starts with teacher wellness. And mm. so, I mean, we got to start inwardly, right? In order to, so we got to be able to acknowledge our own crap, for lack of better words. Um, we must be, we got to be, um, we got to basically empower our own self-care. In order to do that, we got to empower ourselves with knowledge, I think. That's where it started. That's where it started with me. You know, we got to empower ourselves with a little bit of knowledge. Um, so before, so, and, and again, you can, you can imagine, right? How can I help you 
um, in these areas if I am unraveling every time there is a problem in a class. You know what exactly, I'm saying? So Exactly. What you were saying about emotions before, like if I'm getting out of bed and I, I don't want to go there, I don't want to go teach, right? So already right. Uh, there's an impact on how I'm going to teach it. Exactly. Exactly. So this is where it all begins for me. It all starts with the teachers. Um, and I think the knowledge, first empowering ourselves with some knowledge is going to give us the fuel to go a little further. I think it's some steps to this. So I think it all starts with the brain, you know, a little bit of knowledge of the brain. Mm -hmm. It's funny that we as teachers are not equipped with the knowledge of how the brain actually works, how learning actually happens. I think that's a major, major oversight in our training you know from the beginning even when i go back mm -hmm. to um, teacher college you know but when you understand how the brain is actually constructed and how um emotions you know when somebody's at a high emotional state how that is a direct uh like a seesaw effect to their cognitive ability and the brainstem and fight or flight and all these different um things that i could uh, this is a whole nother podcast but to number one understand <laughs> that <laughs> and also to to see how how students learn it's going to number one it's going to give you uh, the ability to forgive your students especially the, the struggle ones the, the ones mm -hmm. that give you the most challenges it's going to be give you more empathy give you more empathy i think that's important because a lot of times student misbehaviors or when students don't achieve you know you, you know you got to tell a kid four or five times the same thing even whether it be behavior or academics you know that's a wear and tear on us before you know it you know you start to um have a an emotional response to that because you're human but the truth of the matter is if you understood how the brain actually works it would it would it will give you the um ability to understand that children if they they if they could do better they would do better you know mm -hmm. in, in, innately you know, these kids are, you know, they want to, they want to please, they want to please people that especially if they, if they, have, if they have a relationship with you. So they yep. want to do well. So if they could do well, they would do well. And the ones that mm -hmm. aren't more than likely, they have probably experienced a, some sort of um, trauma, you know, down the line there. Um, they come, they might be possibly in a, a stressful environment that it had in fact, that had some effect on their brain. Um, and I think that when we are talking to, in our mind, thinking about the children that, are, that we want to quote unquote call difficult, we always try to make a comparison to other, maybe ourselves when we was a student, you know, how we acted or another set of students that are yeah. uh, more equipped. And then we like, well, why can't they be like this? Well, they can't because they actually physically cannot um, based on probably some brain damage more than likely or some other different things. So knowing that helps, it helped me, help me shift my thinking and my approach, uh, which also, you may, you may, people are tossing up terms like trauma informed. I love that because when you are informed on trauma, you, you are more empathetic and that feeds into changing your teaching practice or adapting different teaching practice practices that uh, more suit these, these kids, your demographics of kids. Yeah, a lot of it sounds like how you respond exactly. to different uh, behaviors and different uh, dispositions that you're, you're experiencing in the classroom. So uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? How, do you, how, do you, how should teachers respond to uh, quote-unquote challenging behaviors? Well, the um, to answer the question directly, how we should how should we respond to these challenging behaviors is we should respond to them as opportunities for teaching. Mm. They're all opportunities to teach. Yeah, and just the same way we respond to a student who is having difficulty in their division. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. um, you're you're not going to tell them to go into that corner sit in that corner, stay <laughs> yeah. there. And when you finish out, when you figure out how to divide, 
then come back and, and reintegrate yourself with the class because that is not how learning happens, you know? So when we are experiencing and when these, um, these, uh, these deficiencies and these competencies start to manifest in our students, we must, uh, we must have the ability to cope so that's why the teacher wellness is, is, is first, because how you naturally react is natural. You know, of course, you come up yeah. with a little disappointment, a little anger. These are, you, cannot, um, you cannot stop the, the natural emotion from coming, okay? But how you deal with it, what your next step is, is totally up to you. So whether it's a deep breath, whether it's a, you know, what, it's a whole bunch of strategies that are out there, but you have to take one and then boom, go right into um, a student-centered approach, a student-centered mm -hmm. discipline approach in which you are then going to teach a kid, whether it's a procedure that you already taught on five times, or whether it's a, uh, I'm talking about a, um, a routine that you got to do that in your class, you already taught it five times, you got to go back in there and reteach it. And, and that's that, to me, that's that's the proper response or the, the, the desired response, I would say, because again, I'm not trying to um, point fingers either because yeah. it's, 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 it's harder. It's not, it's easier said than done. Is SEO then primarily about behaviors or there's something related to academic or is the argument that they like you said before they're all intertwined to one will inform the other great question great question great question there are actually 10 sel teaching practices that are recommended by castle which is an organization i definitely want to shout out c-a-s-e-l.org you can go to castle.org it's a it's like a it's a great wealth of, of information airs is another another organization that, that puts out great publications on these teaching practices air AIR.org, and they talk about 10 sel teaching practices now before i go into those teaching practices though i do mm -hmm. want to also say that teacher wellness was the first thing about how you actually going to be able to implement sel before we get into the teaching practice i also want to talk about about explicit SEL content, right? Mm -hmm. Explicitly teaching SEL instructions is the second way that we can get our students to those competencies. And that is, I'm talking about, I think you had another guest on talking about how she teaches direct, explicit, you know, kindness or um, problem solving or yes. um, uh, conflict resolutions. And I think that is absolutely a necessity to do that. There are tons of topics out there. The problem is, is, you know, we don't got time to try to create these lessons. Like she's saying, like when I did, I went and found, found these lessons on my own. That was an incredible mm -hmm. amount of time. So there are tons and tons of ready-made curriculums out there that will help teachers explicitly teach that but then that leads to another issue where where are you going to find the money to be able to purchase these curriculums so some schools are invested in it and they, if they give you a curriculum teach it okay but if they don't there is one tool that i want to give your listeners that um this this company just recently came into ours they gave us a great training and Thank that's San, sanford and sanford harmony sanford harmony got it I'm blown away by this organization. Um, it's funded by, you know, some, some, a billionaire. And he <laughs> is so passionate about this that he's giving away all this curriculum stuff for free. And they have an incredible digital platform. And they also, I mean, if you, if you, if you join them, they'll send you the kit for free. They'll do wow. your teams. They do. I mean, it is incredible. And they really, really give teachers exactly what they need. To, I mean, there's a lot. So there's a lot of curriculums out there and your preference. Everybody has a preference, you know. Sure. Um, but if you, if the, if the resources are low, the money is low and you, you don't have anything else to do. Sanford Harmony is Sanford Harmony. That's what I want to shoot out. Um, we'll it's check free it out. and it's effective. So that gives uh, teachers a way to find some time. You need to find time to explicitly 
teach SEL. But going back to what you what you were originally, the third way to get us to this competencies is in fact to increase our competency, increase our knowledge, and what um, Eric says are the ten SEL teaching practices. And four of those ten are more socially inclined, Jay. But the other six are directly towards the academics. So it is, it is it definitely ties back into our teaching practices. Now, the t- you know, the 10 SEO practice, teaching practices, I don't even know if I should list them out. Like you, have. It's fine. No, you, you don't need to. But when, when yeah, you're speaking about so. this, you know, I, I was also thinking you're right about a lot of work happening that is related to that, that someone has similar goals. You, you, you shared trauma-informed instruction. Right. That's a a field developing. Also, a lot of people are receiving training in that. There's also another field that I've been um, my school's been involved with and we're getting some training in called the restorative justice practices. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How do you think these things kind of relate with one another? I think they relate. I think they all are coming from the same wheelhouse. You got restorative justice. You got conscious discipline. You have um, I mean, there's just just tons and tons of things. I personally, you know, I personally, I think um, they're all based out of the same camp, you know, really. Yeah. And I think this, uh, just like um, any other field, it's a matter of choice and preference in which, which one speaks to you as an individual. Yeah. And I think choice is good, you know, really. Um, but I'm not I'm not partial to any particular, I, you know, because they're not a like restorative justice. That's not a, a, a curriculum. That's more of a, right. um, you know, like kind of like conscious discipline. It's not a curriculum. It's more of a, a theory, you know, more of a, a way of being, you know, which is foundational. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what fuels, I think that information, that type of training, same exact way that being trauma informed, all it can really do is start to fuel you. It starts to give you the why behind, gives you the reason that you as a teacher, whether it's your first year or your 10th year or your 20th year, it will give you the reason to go back in and start to redefine your teaching practices to meet the needs of the current demographics and the current students that we have, which is a product of um, society changing in, in, in many different forms, you know? So that's how I look at it. It's, 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 it's relevant information because I'm not going to change yeah. what I do in the classroom unless I, I have a reason to do that. And so that training is, is imperative and important for that role. All, all three of these approaches seem to be uh, more prevalent or more popular in the urban school setting, right? So you have restorative justice, which is another approach to um, mediate between students and, and, you know, using any conflict as a, as a learning experience, a community-based approach, trauma-informed instruction, again, self-awareness, and then SEL kind of does, it sounds like, both academic and social with explicit teaching of the social-emotional work. In terms of all three of these, at least partially addressing the behavior challenge it's, it makes it sound like there's a lot of behavior challenges that teachers are facing from children whether that's because of their instruction or the school model that we got going on or our outdated instructional methods or policies what do you think it is then in our schools that is bringing our attention to re- solving some of these issues through now social emotional learning and other other approaches What's the issue? I, I personally think the issue is we have we are resistant to resistant to the fact that the manner in which we all grew up learning, you know, where you have an instructor who is the center mm-hmm. of the classroom, you know, and they they kind of impart they just transmit their knowledge upon us that um, 
we are really hesitant in, in changing that. You know, I think that the bottom line is the, the behavioral, the base of the behavioral challenges, the base of the academic gaps is that the students, our customers do not want to be there. They don't want to be there, you know, um, and it's because the environment is, is a direct conflict to what they want to do. And they want to be social. Now, it's not that they don't want to learn, Jay. They do want to learn. Yep. Okay, but they also want to be social. And it's a clash between teachers and students day after day after day after day, which is um, based on our philosophy. We, we, we totally believe this is the way that you need to learn. And the students are saying, well, I, you know, you got to do something else because this is not this is not it. And so it's a constant clash with that. And I think that that's where the behavior starts to manifest and the, the rebellion starts to manifest. And I think that if we um, was empowered with all this knowledge we're talking about, give us a reason to start to redefine our practice is we can start to meet these kids in the middle and start to see major change. I know from for, for all the teachers I'm coaching, for for myself when I was in the classroom, this is all all have been true. And um, it's just um, it's just I think that's the base of it all. I would love to then switch over to a little bit of the teacher development and coaching, uh, if you okay. don't mind. Yeah. Um, what is your recommendation to school leaders and PD providers to arrange, how should they arrange and deliver their professional development? What should they prioritize? What is, you know, how do you do it effectively so that all teachers get what they need? given that you That's work with teaching yourself? Great question. Great question. Because, you know, we've been doing a lot of trial and error, <laughs> a lot of trial and error with this. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, so at first it was more direct, you know, one-on-one t- um, coaching. Um, I mean, after it was, first it was PDs, you know, just, just trying to get them, you know, PDs. Yeah. Uh, then it was some, some touch points and then it was more one-on-one coaching. And then, but you know, after all of that, and, and all of that does can, and can produce some results, but the results are not um, impactful enough. I do believe, and this is where um, myself and our, my company and uh, where we're, we're heading, I do believe that school districts and education um, uh, institutes themselves need to de- work together to develop a uh, more of a like a cohort module based training where that teachers can use um, they, that they can access on their own time because time mm-hmm. is we don't have the time right but it's to be forces them to actually like so a way that they 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 get some knowledge through some cohort training they do um they you know it does it does include pds it does include one-on-one training but they need because the way that we learn and this is going back to how we learn learning is discovery you know learning is um serendipitous you know i cannot even though everything i have right now i cannot um transmit it to i can get i can't give you my knowledge Jay, you have to construct the knowledge through your own experiences, you know, and we need to understand that that is how adults, that's how learning happens, you know, so that's the difference. That's why PDs are somewhat ineffective and all the things that we've been doing is somewhat ineffective. We need to build a system where we are putting the information out there, but allowing teachers to go out there and discover it and experience it in their own ways and then be a facilitator of that learning and help co-construct it. To me, that's the way to do it. Yeah, that sounds great to me too. I've talked to some school leaders and they've shared the frustration at this. I had a couple of school leaders who would say things like XYZ uh, public middle school is not, you know, the university of education, <laughs> right? Like right. <laughs> uh, when, when teachers are coming in at all different places, some principals share the frustration that they're not coming as prepared as they think the teachers should come prepared after their uh, graduate experience and their degree in education. And then schools have to lift the burden of continuously, 
constantly training teachers and yeah. take the responsibility of making them better and giving them, you know, keeping them up to date with, with the new trends and, and new knowledge that's being constructed regularly in the, in the field of research. So what do you say to that? Like, is it, is it this, the responsibility of the school leaders to be giving that much PD, have a team of coaches coming in frequently, consistently, or do you think teachers have to do it on their own? Well, I think ideally you would want teachers to be able to do it on it. I think that's how I, I came into it. That's why I became so passionate on it. But I think in the world that we are in now, we have already weakened, I think we have weakened our, um, our, our teaching workforce um, in general because we are always just giving them supposedly, you know, just giving them knowledge, you know, just giving them. So they're just waiting, waiting. What are you going to, you know, what, what are you going to tell me? Yeah. What are you going to do for me? That's the habit that they're in. And that is the thinking that they have. Um, and I think that's across the board, except for the, you know, the, the, the few that you see, you know, that are highlighted, you know, they usually the, the teachers of the year and all these people, you know, they went out and, and actually researched. They discover different teaching practices. They discover different um, methods. They discover these things on their own. And that is what fueled them to actually implement into their classroom. They didn't necessarily get it from a PD or from, right. I mean, they didn't get, they didn't do it. That's yeah. not how it works, you know? Um, so adult learning works exactly the same way. Now I do think again that we could, because I think we can meet them in the middle. Now, ideally it would start in the educational universities, you know, how we start to train up our teachers, you know, it's just, uh, it's just um, uh, to, to, to model, model in those forms what we want model to them how they learn and then in turn how they should teach which again is giving your students opportunities to discover this information on their own create the experiences with your guidance with your guidance so that you can um, bring them to the standard you know and that yeah. that's the way that's to me that's the way that's yeah. that. because other, other than that you're constantly fighting against you're just fighting you're fighting against them you know um and it's it's just like it's like, it's like a lose lose. When when you you work with so many teachers, when you first initially you know meet them and talk to them about social emotional learning, what do you find uh, that they are they they maybe where where is the gap in their knowledge the most? Uh, in which area of SEL or just teaching in general do you find that oh, like this is a big area for especially newer teachers to work on? I think um. I think that the definition or two things, I think number one for, for new teachers and old teachers, uh, veteran teachers is slightly different. The okay. veteran teachers, number one wall is they have a resistance to any initiative that's coming their way. They've been around <laughs> too long, Experience. you know, they can't trust it, man. They, <laughs> they can't, can't trust, trust it. it. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm instantly met with a, like a little slight eye, you know, a little, I yep. feel the wall and, and I already understand exactly <laughs> what are you selling me? Right. So I, and I get that. I totally get that. Um, so that's the number one wall for the new teachers is that they are convinced of, 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 they have this idea of what classroom management is. And I think that we need to redefine classroom management. Mm. Um, it might, in my, from my viewpoint, from my, from my stance, classroom management is simply a combination of two things. It is your relationships with your students, you know, focus on the relationship part and then focus on your presentation and your academics, right? How you actually deliver the content. Those two things, in fact, if, you, if, we, if we can change that a little bit, we can focus in those areas and make those priority, your behavioral um, problems will start to literally subside. They would just start to fade away. And here's the reason why. It's because no matter what grade, no matter what age, if you have a student who comes to your class and feels as if they have a real relationship with you and real mm -hmm. relationships with their peers, Okay, in combination with 
a, a lesson that in fact they want to be a part of, that they want, they, that they are a part of, that they are in fact, um, they have stakes in and that they are, is engaging, man. They don't, they're, yeah. it's going to be hard for them to misbehave, sure. you know, um, and that's what classroom management in my effect is, you know, they, they it, when I was in school, I mean, we spent weeks on champs, you know, <laughs> we spent weeks uh -huh. on, you know, all these classroom management systems yeah. and stuff. And when I, and I, and when, as soon as I got to school, as soon as I got to my first classroom, I started to put up the C and the H and the M. I spent time <laughs> trying to talk about noise levels and all this stuff. And, and Jay. I was, you know, because that's what they taught me. I thought this was definitely going to be the way. It did not yeah, work. Yeah. It does not work, you know. So, so the, the, the relationship thing is also so hard, right? Because one, it's ongoing. It takes, you know, you can't just put two people together in a room and feel like they're going to build a right. relationship. There's a lot of uh, transactions and there's a lot of give and take. You know, what are your thoughts for high school teachers? They yeah. sometimes are working with 130, 120 kids in their, you know, overall schedule. And um, how do you build a relationship with as many kids as possible in a class of 28, 30? Great question. Great question. I think we should redefine relationships too. Like when I say relationships, you're right. You're not necessarily, you got 150 kids to have right. a relationship with all of them in the sense of relationship. When we think about relationships, like a close niche and, you know, they know a little about me and, you know, I know their kid, you know, I know their brothers and sisters, yeah. and, you know, there's sporting events and all that. That's the, that's what first comes to mind when I say, when you hear it, when I say relationship, but I'm not actually I'm yep. talking about that, but I'm not, that's not really where it falls. And I, it goes, let's go to talk a little bit about three of the 10 teaching practices that I'm talking about. To me, these um, uh, will, will help you with your relationships. The first right. is warmth and support. Okay, that's your classroom environment. Okay, is your environment welcoming? Is it warm? Do um, is it do they or do the kids know? They may not know everything about yeah. you, but do 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 they know that if they came to you, you would be an advocate and you would support them? So warmth and support. The second to create a relationship with your kids is you being able to choose your language properly, teacher language. Mm -hmm. Nothing will break up the relationship part faster than a teacher who is loosey-goosey with the language, you know, yeah. <laughs> that is, um, yeah. that responds in ways that are uh, harsh. You know, if you, if you, if you, mm -hmm. you know, and, I, and I've been in these classrooms now and I've seen it all and I heard it all and my jaw drops and my heart breaks every single time. I yeah. just literally left a classroom on Friday. I was walking to the classroom. I was going to see a teacher. I was going to coach. On my way to that, this uh, teacher, she was a um, first grade teacher. I was walking to her, I was, like I said, I was, her class was coming from breakfast. They was walking to her. Yeah. One of her students was left behind. He was crying, right? The kid was crying mm -hmm. over some milk. Maybe the milk was spoiled or something. And the principal was talking to that teacher, to that student. Yeah. The yeah. teacher was shouting across the uh, walkway, across the halls, screaming across to the principal, telling the principal that, yeah, and you could tell him that he can go home. All oh, this man. over some milk. Uh-uh, I might have, like, that's the teacher language that I'm talking about that obviously is going to be a, uh, a, a something that will block a relationship building. So just having yeah. positive words, be the positive reinforcement of saying somebody, saying something, just positive things to know, watching your language. And then the thing that, the third thing that builds relationships is the practice is called student-centered discipline. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier is when students are going to make mistakes, they are going to mess up, right? And how you yep. respond to that, not only in your language, but in your approach, not a obedience-centered discipline, right. you know, where you just, you just do it because I said it, right? But when this student messes up, like, you know, if you was able to pull this student and ask them some questions, like, is there a better way that we could have did that? 
Remember how we did, we talked about this before? What step did you in fact miss? Okay, you know, and even if you can't do that right away, to have a system in which you can check in with that student at a later time yeah. and be able to teach them is in fact students in discipline. And that built, that's just the, when the student knows that those three things are intact, their walls will come down. And that in fact is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about having a relationship. Thank you for that. Related to that and related to just behavior management in general, general, it seems to be one of the biggest things that the biggest stressors uh, for teaching, right? There's also the planning and the grading and the observations and whatnot. But a lot of teachers early on talk about not having enough systems at the school level to address certain behavior infractions, et cetera. So whatever you're saying right now really helps put all of that into perspective because some of it teachers themselves can control also. Last month, and I talked about it in one of my other episodes too, the New York Post put up um, an article and was talking about, you know, the rate of teachers leaving the profession within the first five years is like astronomically high. Why, why is that, do you think? We're, we're not, we're just not ready. We're not equipped for, it's, I mean, this and the whole other podcast is right now the effects of trauma, the effects of trauma, high toxic yeah. stress and trauma on kids is half of the kids Half of all students are uh, have experienced some 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 toxic high level trauma, um, and they have a lasting effect on their brain. They have an effect on their physiology, and we um, and that is that's not that's not the we're not we're not talking about that in universities. You know, we're not talking about that in our schools. And when you get there and, mm-hmm. and experience that, you are you're not equipped to deal with that. And if we're talking about half of your students are dealing with that, and it's a cause. Man, it's, it's it's super frustrating. It's super frustrating. It, it takes a toll on your body. There's that compassion fatigue. There's secondhand trauma that's real. And when a teacher is um, uh, sitting at home and they have to make the choice between their own health, you know, yeah. or uh, going back into their classroom, and it's going to be for almost all of us. It's a hard. It's I mean, it's one of the choices that I, I mean, I would I would I would guess that 75, 80 percent of teachers that leave, they probably cry about that decision. They probably they probably sure. um, they probably it probably breaks them apart because we're none of us are in it to leave we all jump in we yeah. already know what kind of what we're going into but the realities of it is is just super harsh and then you come back if you com- combine that with you know the um the majority of administration being blind to not gonna say blind but they just not um maybe they have the they don't know what to do how to really support these teachers in that way and then so they choose to focus on what this superintendent wants them to do, you know, which is, right. you know, getting these, you know, so, you know, I have, you put that and that is basically a toxic environment for teachers. And now we're talking about Jay fight or flight for the teacher. Yep. It puts the teacher there because the brain is still working the same. The brain is, the brain is still working. That Trump, that, that brainstem. Now you are in a state of fight or flight. And when those negative toxins are floating through your body, it is physically called the damage that you physically yeah. feel on a day to day. And when you're in a fight or flight uh, over, uh, over a period of time, it's, it's just natural for you to try to get out of it. And, and that's, and that's, that, that's the reason. Yeah. That's it's a sad, reason. sad reality for, for us. Um, so, uh, you know, what, what do you recommend? We talk a lot about students and, and what strategies. Uh, one of the first steps was to uh, reflect on your own self and take care of your own self. What, what do you tell your teachers to, to do in order to take care of themselves so that they are in the uh, optimum, you know, uh, emotional status when they walk into their classrooms? This is why I love your show, Jay. You know, because your questioning, your line of question is so... Um, just so perfect. I think that's what the, the audience needs to hear right now, you know, and I think it starts with two things. 
Okay. Number one, realize um, I already talked about knowledge of the brain. And so once you've done that, you understand the brain, you're going to see that, okay, there's ways um, that I can help my own wellness. The first one is to increase my emotional vocabulary, meaning when you are in an uncomfortable emotional state, the first thing to do, you got to understand that that's the left side of your brain. The right side of your brain is um, taking over. Okay. And when that happens, it deactivates that, that comprehensive side or the executive side of your brain. So when you are able to accurately identify the emotion, you start to click over that part of the brain. So accurately identifying the emotion. Here's the thing. A lot of times teachers may have an instance, something may happen in the class or something happens outside of work and they start to react in anger because yep. they identify that emotion as anger. Guilty. So when the body, body hears anger, so I start to do things that I do when I'm angry. But was that actually the emotion? Mm -hmm. Was that actually the emotion? Could it be you are frustrated? Or could it, but frustrated is not the same definition as anger. Frustrated is like, I just didn't get what I wanted. <laughs> so right. I feel frustrated, for an example. Yep. Or could it be a disappointment, which is a different definition? Or could it be, I got embarrassed over something? Or could it be, you know, so when you are able to really accurately identify the emotion, then that triggers a different type of response. So having, increasing your emotion, and I'm talking, and those are simple emotions that I just said, but there's a lot more, like, um, we give, we, there's a lot more different, um, different words that you could use for emotions. And that sure. when you know the definition of it, your that part of the brain will start to then appropriately respond to that emotion. Second thing is to have and start to create a toolbox of coping strategies that work for you. And again, when um, they have that, you have to explore that individually and develop your own toolbox, meaning you got to do your own work. OK, because I know some guests are going to say, well, just, just do some deep breathing. Yeah. <laughs> that may work, but it may not. So what about meditation? Well, that may work, Jay, but it may not. So what yeah. works for you? Sometimes long walks. Sometimes, you know, I just had a teacher show me um, the other day that she has, she, she, she collects sea, seashells. And uh -huh. when she is um, emotionally, uh, having an uncomfortable emotion, she literally just rubs the seashells. And she discovered that on her own. And that is part of her toolbox. The long walks, the music, the long drives of it. If you're in the classroom, it's maybe it's the county to five or just the commitment to not responding right away is also a coping strategy, right? So there are tons of coping strategies and the internet is full of them, okay? <laughs> yeah. But what ends up has to happen in order for you to find it is you have to discover it for yourself. You got to try it, okay? And then start to have a toolbox because what worked on this one situation may not work tomorrow, all right? But if you had a toolbox, you can go back in the toolbox and find it, find another one. Okay. And then as you continue to work on this over time, you, you'll know exactly what does work for you. And then, so the timing that, um, that, uh, window of, uh, that of tolerance that you have for, um, misbehaviors and all those things, um, they, it will grow because you have, you're more equipped to deal with them, but I can't give it to you. I can't yep. give it to any teacher. They have to discover it on their own. And the only way you're going to want to go out there and discover it, Jay, is if you're equipped with some knowledge that gives you the motivation that, oh, man, I need to, I need to learn some more things about it. And that's where the conscious discipline comes in. That's where the restorative justice comes in. That's what being trauma informed comes in. That's what knowing, um, knowing about ACEs, you know, adverse childhood experiences and how those affect the brain. No, the knowledge of all those things will fuel you to start. To, first of all, when you, when you hear those things, you will evaluate yourself and how some of your childhood experiences, some of your yeah. own experience have affected you. And that is to me the base, the beginning of real teacher wellness where I will start to, okay, let me increase my emotional vocabulary. Okay, well, let me go ahead and start to see what, what actually works for me. And when you do that, you are much more equipped 
to be able to, number one, you're going to feel the difference for yourself. And you know, teachers, we are translators of knowledge. We learn something first, we experience it, and then we are able to give it to other people. That's what we do naturally. It's the same way with this emotional stuff. We have to experience it firsthand for ourselves, not just from a textbook, you know, and the reading, you know, like I've read one major powerful book out there that educators I think need to read is Trauma Through a Child's Eye, Seeing Trauma Through a Child's Eye. Um, Oh, the author's name is... uh, eluding me but that's another great book my point is it's all books these are all knowledges that we that, that, that equip me with the, the the power to go out and yep. make the changes yep great thank you seeing trauma through a child's eye um i will yep. add the book in the podcast description with the author so that you can easily find it we're getting to the end of the interview i wanted to talk a lot more about curriculum with you the curriculum okay. that is being taught to the kids in our schools but um i'll add that to one of our questions that we were going to ask you anyway about you know, what the cause of dissatisfaction is with that a lot of people have toward public education. Um, do you think we are teaching kids the right stuff in our schools right now? Um, and uh, if yes, then what makes it good? And if no, what should we be teaching our kids in our schools today? Mm, that's a good question. That's really a good question. I, um, I, you know, I, don't, I don't necessarily have a problem of what we're teaching the kids in school. I think it's mm-hmm. somewhat dated. You know, maybe somewhat dated, but um, ultimately, I think, um, you know, we live in a digital era where knowledge is that, you know, <laughs> it's there for us. You know, I yeah. think the more importantly, of more, besides what we're teaching is how we are teaching it. And really, I think the problem is, is that we are still, again, teaching from a transmission model, which is I am transmitting. I, I have the knowledge. And it's my job to transmit it or give it to you. And when we do that, even for the students that have high academic achievement, even for the students that are able to grasp the knowledge in that form, similarly, you see the result. Just like you have all these educators who are still unwilling or unable to go out and further educate themselves because they're waiting for someone else to give it to them. So that method is not so much to me. It's not the the what we're teaching because, you know, the topics, it's a lot of topics out there. It's just how we're teaching. We're not teaching students how to learn, you know, how they actually learn, which again is serendipitous. And this is why, you know, we need to be, the the real change is teachers, the work is in our planning. You know, the work is in our planning. How can we plan it so that the students in the class are doing the bulk of the work? How do we shift our lessons so that we are talking, we are talking maybe only 10% of the time, 15% of the time, right? When you're, 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 you're introducing a topic and you're getting out in six or seven minutes and then you're letting them go into centers or to cooperative learning groups or to, you know, um, you know, just, you know, partner groups or different things where they are, you know, doing they're, they're doing the work themselves. And then at some point I'm checking in and then I'm bringing them back together. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and then, at, you know, and then, and then I'm guiding on some, some type of project based learning where they're now there. Now that takes a lot of planning. That takes a lot of planning yeah. and that takes a lot of preparation. There are a lot of guardrails that you have to put in place, procedures and routines that have to happen at the beginning of the year and throughout the year in order for that to happen. And teachers are reluctant because that is a, a you have to release some control. you know you got to release control of the classroom so we are reluctant but there is where the change is because that when you teach in that manner not only will the students have more of a stake in their own learning but they also get a chance to be social you know and that is where the that's their need that is they 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 don't they don't they don't have that outside anymore remember when we used to go outside and play yeah (laughs) remember remember those days we don't do that no more so but the human the human body the human mind still desires that so we are social creatures the bottom line is the school 
that is the environment for them to do it. And the more we fight it, the more we're going to keep clashing. So I think that the planning, how we're able to create these environments, um, having consistent morning meetings to create community in your classroom, have, have a little fun with your classes, you know, have some fun with them and, and create cooperative learning, balance instruction where you're doing less talking, okay? They're doing more talking. They're doing more of the work. You're not transmitting your knowledge from the front of the class. You are guiding their learning. Be a facilitator of the learning and allow the mistakes. Give them responsibility. Give these students choice. That helps them become more self-aware of themselves, right? And when, you when we teach in these manners, it will, in fact, translate to those core competencies that SEL is all about that we talked about from the beginning. And so now you're getting both academics and core competencies. And Jay, just look at it. <laughs> what does the employers want? What do employers want right now? What does the, the job market say they're looking for? They're not looking for, um, they, they know they could teach the skills of, of what you actually, how you do your job. But right. the job market is missing leaders. They're missing people that can um, interact with people. They're missing people that can- Responsible, reliable res individuals. Talk to me. Exactly. Responsible people, people who are creative, people who are independent, can talk independently solve problems, critically think about problems and do it on their own so they're not a burden on on the actual employer that's what they're looking for that's what they're looking for and we're not we are not preparing the workforce for that and for that we we we're responsible for that and these are the things that everything that we talked about today is within our control it's within our classroom when you close the door i can do all of these things and the result yeah. is the result is yeah the teachers you will be happier you will have less stress you will have less behavioral um, uh, instance you will have higher academic gains you will have an environment in your classroom that you will want to come to yeah it changes the game and your kids want to come there it, like i said i'm it's not easy to shift the thinking it is not easy to shift all these experiences but and it's it is a process it. it is a process that's exactly right yeah. Exactly uh, right. Well, to wrap us up, thank you for all those pearls of wisdom. To wrap this up, would love to know what you would do with a magic wand if you had one to strengthen our education, our schools, our teachers, our teaching profession. What would you do with a magic wand? So, you know, you asked all your guests this and I went back yep. and forth. <laughs> I went back and forth with this, but I'm going to go with an extreme one because it's magic. Okay? And I literally wish that we could almost put a some sort of a pause or a hold or um, find a way to to reset education, right? To reset the educator's mm -hmm. mind. And I wish that we could somehow almost like stop everything, you know, almost like give the students an extended summer, you know, six months, you know, whatever it may mm -hmm. be, in which teachers all Count would me go in. back <laughs> in. We would all go back in and start to dive in in a collaborative way on the topics that we discussed today so that we leave mm. that six months trauma-informed, conscious discipline-informed, um, have knowledge of the brain. We, 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 we literally start to talk about all these teaching practices and how, what does it actually look like? What are you doing? How are you doing it? Get to practice together, how we co-plan together, start to go and do practice our lessons together, you know, literally intensive, boom, 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 and come out like, I'm talking about like, like a training camp. Yeah. To reset education and come out fired up and ready for these students. They deserve it. They need it. And we, at that point, I mean, that's like, that's like changing it from the, from the ground up, you know, because Washington is not coming to save us. Uh -uh. Now, uh, I would love that because time is the thing that teachers want to do right by kids. They, most of them, most of the ones that I meet anyway, and they just 
don't have the time to plan. They don't have, they don't have the time to learn. They don't have the time. There's so many other things that they got to do. And the six months sounds like a great idea to have some kind of a camp, a learning camp for all teachers. What a great thought. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, thanks for asking the questions too. Thank you. And that's all for today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Turn and Talk Podcast is your one-stop shop for learning about what is actually happening in schools today directly from the people who are working in today's schools. The support for this podcast comes from listeners like yourself, people who are interested in the present and the future of education. So feel free to head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast. We invite you to also follow us on Instagram at turn and talk podcast if you haven't subscribed yet please go ahead and do that too so that all future episodes are available to you upon release and downloaded immediately to your device if you have questions thought feedback or if you work in a school and would like to take the mic back please email us at turn and talk podcast at gmail.com thank you for tuning in this is your host jay mcsuits signing out peace